Good morning, Church. I'm Eklas Haddad, and I'm going to, I'm part of the care team in the church. I'm going to bring the Bible reading this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 30. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be re revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew and he also presented to be confirmed to be the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those be presented he also called. Those he called he also justified. Those he justified he also glorified. Hey, good morning again, church. Um, it's the last week on the prayer series. So let me start with a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we are just here, that we are alive, that every day is a miracle, and today is a miracle. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us not to take this privilege for granted, not to take our life for granted, but allow us to hear from you, help us to obey you, and help us to glorify you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we said that we have been doing a short series on prayer, uh, today is the last week, and really we wanted to show you why prayer should be easy. Because for most of us, uh, in our experience, prayer is really hard. Uh, even in church, I think it's quite reflective of that, that it's easier to organize a working bee than to get people have a prayer meeting. Uh, most people will participate in cleaning up for hours in the church, but very few will be happy to spend half an hour of praying together. Why? Because prayer is a struggle. And we've pointed out that if we somehow change our view of what prayer is, or if we truly understand what prayer is, we might find it easier to pray. And so we said that firstly, prayer is primarily relational. In our first week, we said that the primary purpose of, pr of prayer is to really just spend time with God. That prayer is easy because we should be enjoying just being with God our Father. And secondly, last week, we said that prayer is easy because we have this confidence to approach God's holy throne. That we can pray with a shameless audacity, as we said last week, because we are God's children. That God wants us really to bother Him. Uh, and so we can pray with shameless audacity, and that's made possible because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And today, lastly, we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in our prayer life, that the Spirit helps us to pray. And I just wanted you to kind of notice that there is a uh, Trinitarian kind of involvement in our prayer, that we pray to the Father who loves us through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And so today, again, I want to show you what the Holy Spirit is doing behind the scene as we pray. But let me start with this thought, because when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, I feel like there's a lot of kind of confusion and false assumption of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, so let me just give you a crash course on the, the role or the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, Jesus said this, referring to the Spirit, he says that he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. I think that's a good summary of what the role of the Spirit is. That his primary role is to guide you into all the truth. But more so, his, his primary role is to point you back to Jesus. His main job in your life is to make Jesus more real in your life. He's like a spotlight, always aiming at Jesus. He's always saying, look at him, be like him, follow him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit aims to glorify the Son. And we also know that the Son loves to glorify the Father. Uh, for example, we know that the scriptures, that our Bibles, we believe, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what does the scripture do? It reveals the Son, Jesus Christ. And the church, as a church, we believe and we respond by glorifying the Son as we learn more about Him. So as we study the Bible, the Holy Spirit not only informs us, but it convicts, it convicts us and He transforms us. 
And I think that's why we know very little about the Holy Spirit, because what he wants us to do is to look at the Son, to glorify the Son. He doesn't like talking about himself. That's why it's kind of hard uh, talking about him as well, because the, even, even when we talk about the gifting of the Holy Spirit, it's, a, it's for the glory of Jesus. See, the fruit of the Spirit is to grow you to be more like Jesus. So I, wanna, I want you to keep that in the back of your minds as we study this passage, that the Spirit really points you to Jesus. But today, we'll focus on the Holy Spirit's role in our prayer. And really, it's no different. So what does the Holy Spirit, sorry, how does the Holy Spirit help, uh, help us in our prayer? And three things I wanted to show you in this passage. It's quite long, but I'm just going to pull out a few passages in there. The three things I wanted to show you are these. That the Spirit leads us in prayer that the Spirit translates our prayer, and all, the Spirit also transforms us through prayer. That He leads us in prayer, He translates our prayer, and He also transforms us through prayer. All right, let's begin. The Spirit leads us in prayer. I wanted to argue that real prayer is only possible because of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 14 to 15. It says that for those who are led by the Spirit of God, are the children of God, of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Christians are saying that we're spirit-led, and the spirit made it possible for you to be a child of God. He brought about your salvation. That if you're not a Christian, then you have all the right reason to fear God, you should be afraid, afraid to face God because he is the righteous judge. That the only reaction you'll have to, when you stand before the holy God would be fear. It says that you are a slave. It means that you'll be treated depending on how you perform. And if you do not satisfy his holy standards, then you're done for. But, it's saying here, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then if you believe in the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins... Then the Spirit comes into your life, He removes the fear, and He replaces it with the joy because you are no longer a slave, but you're a child. You're adopted, you're a son, you're a daughter. And remember, we talked about that last week. But see, it's the Holy Spirit that allows the process of adoption to take place. It's the Spirit that makes that happen. Not only that, it is, it, it is by the Spirit that we're able to cry out or experience our standing before God, that by Him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. It is by His work, by His leading, that this is all made possible. So every time you pray, you have to remember that you have this, um, that you're connected to the, to the spiritual realm, and you have a direct access to God, that you have, a, in a way, direct access to the White House, that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever language you speak, you can talk to God directly. You won't be put on hold. You don't need an appointment. Why? Because the Spirit brings us before God's presence. He connects us to God. The only reason that God can hear you is because the Spirit living inside of you. But more so, look at verse 16. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, what does that mean? I think it's saying that the Spirit confirms to you, to your spirit, that you are God's child. 
Because you might know, you might believe that you are a child of God. You might read about it, you might hear it in a sermon, but somehow you don't really believe it. You don't really feel it. So the Spirit is the one who makes it a reality in your life. It's like when you're watching a cooking show like, I don't know, MasterChef, and they start tasting the food and they say, oh, this is really good. It's really delicious. The texture, the flavor is so robust. But see, you can't really taste it because you're just watching TV. You believe them. You know it's true. It's delicious, but you don't really know. Why? You know it intellectually, but you don't really know it experientially. That's the same with your faith. You know doctrinally that you are a child of God because the Bible says so, that you are forgiven. You might not feel it, and the work of the Holy Spirit is to make the truth a reality. How wonderful is that? He doesn't just work legally. He leads you emotionally. He doesn't just make you a child, but he allows you to feel like a child, that you're able to call out, Father. It says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, Me meaning the Spirit convinces our spirit. He convinces our hearts. He convicts us that we are truly children of God. He makes us feel our salvation. And this happens when we pray. Prayer allows the objective truth of the Bible to become personal desires in our hearts. It turns truth into reality. It turns scripture into a song. The Spirit of God never works apart from biblical truth, but He also allows us to feel this truth. The, the, the Spirit allows you to realize the truth and to experience it. How do you know that your spouse is committed to you in sickness and in health, in poorness and in wealth, till death do you, do you part? How do you know? Well, you can say, well, I have this legal document that the promise that he made. Well, that's great. That's really important. But I'm sure you want to feel that. You want to know by the everyday assurance that you get. You want to know by feeling it. You know through the honest interaction and communication. You get to experience it. So verse 15 says that we have this status, that the Holy Spirit brought about your adoption. See, it's, it's a legal element. But verse 16, the Spirit will pull us into this deeper understanding of our status, that he, he testifies to us. The Spirit makes your legal status a reality. How do you know God loves you? Well, because the Bible says so. That's the best assurance that we can have the promises of God, but the Spirit allows you to feel it, that you can cry out to God. Isn't that wonderful? That's why if you only pray occasionally, your prayers will be more like a shopping list because you might be saying, I want this, I need this, can I have this? Can you, can you do this for me? But if you spend more time in prayer, you start to have this desire for God himself because the Spirit is at work. You start to pray not to get things from God, but to, God, to get God himself. You want him. You desire his presence and his company and his will and his voice speaking to you. Without the Holy Spirit, your prayer will be mechanical. Your prayer will be dry. But the Holy Spirit creates a hunger for you to be in the presence of God and makes your prayer more real. That's our first point. Secondly, the Spirit translates our prayer. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness is it talking about? Well, the verses beforehand, it talks a lot about suffering. Uh, Three times in chapter 8, you'll find the word groaning. Groaning here, it means agonizing pain. Hence, Paul relates it to giving birth in verse 22. Uh, The context of Romans 8 is saying that everyone in this world will face incredible, agonizing pain. That it is inevitable that everyone will experience some sort of suffering. Why? Because verse 21 says that the creation itself is subject to decay. Verse 10, it says that our our bodies are subject to death. The whole creation is subject to decay. Our body is subject to death. Our loved ones are subject to decay. And that causes intense groaning. And it's not a question of whether you will groan or not groan. The question is how you will deal with your groaning. What hope do you have? Well, Paul says that the children of God, verse 18, will be liberated from decay and be given glory. The answer to our present groaning is future glory. And so Paul says that our present suffering, our groaning today, is not even worth comparing with the glory that one day will be revealed for us. That's our hope. So what does the Spirit do? It says that in our suffering, in our, su- in our suffering, in our groaning, the Spirit intercedes for us when we are weak. I think it's saying that when it is most painful, when we're lost, we're confused, even when our faith starts to waver, when we start to lose focus of this hope that we have, the Spirit is the one who gives us the strength and assurance that we need. He intercedes on our behalf. When we are weak in our confidence in the coming glory, when we think that our present suffering is really not worth the glory that that was promised, the Holy Spirit is the one interceding in our spiritual weakness. That's why in verse 26, it says, we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Because when we're suffering, when we're faced with problems, when difficulties arrive, we don't know what to ask for. Our faith starts to shake, our mind starts to doubt, and our heart starts to lose hope. When we are weak, when we're lost for words, the Spirit speaks on our behalf. What a wonderful assurance. And take note that the Spirit doesn't take away our weakness or our groaning, but instead it helps us groan in a way that the Father can understand. That's why verse 27 says the Father knows the Spirit, and the Spirit really knows the will of the Father. That the Spirit dwelling in us is able to speak on our behalf that the Father can understand. That's why it also says back in verse 15 that it's the Spirit who helps us to cry, Abba, Father. We cry. Because when something becomes too overwhelming for us, we cry. And the passage tells us that the Spirit translates our cry to the Father that the Father can understand. It's like when a toddler cries and only the, the, the child's parent, usually the mother, can understand their own child's cry. The mother will say that ha- that's how she cries when she's hungry. And then they'll cry again. Oh, she's crying because she's tired. But how do you know the difference? Because the parent always knows the child. And the passage is telling us that when we are in pain, the Spirit cries on our behalf the way that the Father can understand. 
He knows what to ask for. He knows what to say. It says that he intercedes in accordance to the will of God. Again, what a great assurance. It means that if you're facing problems and, and difficulties and you're groaning, make sure you take time to pray because even though you don't know what to say or you don't know what to ask for, you have the Holy Spirit in you. That you can simply cry in your prayer because the Holy Spirit will speak on your behalf. You don't need words to impress God. The Spirit prays on your behalf like a child crying in pain. You can just cry to your heavenly Father and the Father knows exactly what you need and what to do because of the Spirit in you. How comforting is that? But there's one more that makes prayer easy because of the Spirit. The Spirit transforms us through prayer. The prayer, <clears throat> prayer changes not only the situation or the circumstances in our life, but prayer really changes us. Uh, last week, we said that we can ask for whatever we want. And really, we should ask with, uh, with shameless audacity. But it doesn't mean that we'll get it, because at the same time, we need to trust the Father will always give us what's best for us. And this is the third role of the Spirit that we can learn, that as we pray, the Spirit transforms us to trust God more and more. The Spirit shapes us to trust God like a child trusting a parent. I think this is one of the main reasons you should pray because your holiness, your spiritual growth, uh, your spiritual maturity, it really hinges on your prayer life. That you won't grow unless you are in constant conversation with God. Remember we said that the, the Holy Spirit, He turns the objective truth into spiritual reality when you pray. That the Holy Spirit turns your biblical knowledge to personal, experiential knowledge. That's the work of the Spirit. And so it means that Bible studies and listening to sermons and podcasts is really not enough. You might know more about God, but it doesn't mean that you'll know Him more relationally. See, verse 28, it says that, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Now, how many times have we quoted that, but don't really believe in it? That it's easier said than realized. That when we're going through suffering, when we're facing something really challenging ahead of us, when we're groaning and we're grieving, it's really hard to say, it's really hard to accept that in all things, in our deep suffering, God works for the good of those who love him. That when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's hard to believe that God is with us, that he has something good in store with the, with the pain that we're experiencing. Unless you have built your trust in God through prayer. Mature Christians are prayerful Christians because when they face challenges ahead, they really know that they can trust God. Because they don't, they don't just know about God of the Bible, they, they truly know Him from their experience. And so the more we pray, the more we see who God is. And the more we're able to trust Him. The more you make prayer a discipline in your life, the more you'll get to know the God of the Bible personally. And so more, the more you will feel this assurance that He is working for your good. 
You know, as I mentioned last week, like kids often have this courage to ask with shameless audacity. And so a typical conversation at home will go like this. Hey, dad, can I, can I get one of those? Sorry, son, but I don't think so. Why not? Well, it's not really good for you. Well, that's not fair. All my friends have some. But see, as a parent, you know that you're thinking someday you'll understand. Someday you'll thank me for saying no to you. And I think that's the same with God. He's probably often thinking, one day you'll understand. One day you'll thank me for saying no to you. That we're called to ask with shameless audacity, but it doesn't mean we'll get it. That you might ask God to take away the problem and the pain, but sometimes or often trials are there to help us grow. It helps us to depend and to trust in God even more. But we won't grow unless it is processed through prayer. And that's what the, the book of Job is all about. It's about a man wrestling with God in prayer. And see, he has the right information. He knows about the justice of God, the mercy of God. But it's not a reality in his life. It was not until he processed his grief through prayer that all the information suddenly became real. And so there's this famous passage in Job 42 where Job says, My ears had heard of you but now my eyes have seen you. Now, he didn't literally see God. What is he saying? He's saying that after his conversation with God through prayer, that before he knows about the justice and power of God, but through prayer, after he wrestled with God, he experienced God. He really knows. He's, he, he has seen it. And I think for us to have the same experience as Job, as Job, we need to have the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit really brings all the head knowledge that we have to be a heartfelt reality in our lives. And that's how you grow. The Spirit's role is to make the information of the Bible to be a deep reality in your life. That prayer is not a consumer's tool. That God is not a genie or an employer, as we said. That He's our Father. That God gives you what you truly need, which is himself. He gives you his son. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And only in prayer can you really realize how much you already have in him. And I think that's also why the New Testament repeatedly talks about walking in the spirit, growing in the spirit, bearing the fruit of the spirit. See, that's all language of maturity. But maturity cannot achieve without the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit really works in you when you pray. Uh, a lecturer in preaching told me once that, uh, that I shouldn't tell people to pray more at the end of a sermon. He said that that's really just poor application, telling people to pray more. It's so cliche. He said most Christians already don't pray enough. And simply telling them to pray more at the end of a sermon is just guilt tripping them. Now, I've always taken that advice, I think, except for today. Because I think it's, it's okay to conclude after three weeks that we really need to pray more, but not out of guilt. Because for the last three weeks, I wanted to show you why we should be praying more. Pray because the Father is waiting to listen. Pray because the Son made it possible by His sacrifice on the cross. That the whole point of His sacrifice is so that we can be adopted back to His family, to be in the very presence of God. And pray because the Holy Spirit dwells in you 
interceding on your behalf, even though you don't know what to say. That even though prayer is a daily struggle, it can be our joy. That the Trinity has made it so much easier for us. And in prayer, you'll, as you pray, you'll truly realize that your present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that one day will be revealed for us. So church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we take this uh, privilege for granted. Take this opportunity to be in your presence, to, to commune with you, to talk to you, to enjoy you, to love you, to, to realize how much you love us. So Lord, we pray that we will be praying more so that we can grow to be more like Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in our lives. We forgive us for often ignoring your prompting in our lives. But we do ask you to help us to pray. Help us to enjoy the very presence of our loving Father. Point us back to the Lord Jesus every time, often when we fail. But Father, we thank you for your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our life now. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.